Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today, Kristen Ebeling, is first and foremost a very talented skateboarder who recently turned pro for Meow Skateboards. She is also the executive director of Skate Like a Girl, a nonprofit organization, the mission of which is to create an inclusive community by promoting confidence, leadership, and social justice through skateboarding. She is also a musician playing bass in the punk band Punitive Damage, a writer contributing to various publications such as the Skate Witches Zine or Mess Skate Mag to name a few, and somehow in the middle of her very busy schedule, she managed to find time to manage the Crux Trucks team for over a year and a half. I had the opportunity to sit down with her for a quick chat early February 2023 to discuss her many ongoing projects. So here's my conversation with Kristen, I hope you'll enjoy it. Yeah, thank you so much, Kristen. Honored to meet you, uh, virtually for now at least. Yeah, stoked to get to talk to you. As you just said, you're uh, very busy, you have lots of things going on. <laughs> so I, I guess it's going to be hard to cover everything that you do, but we'll try at least to touch on some of the most important things that you're, you're involved with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I usually start this podcast with the same question with everybody, which is kind of how they started uh, you know, skating. Mm-hmm. I heard in an interview that you did a while ago that you you lived in Singapore as a child for a mm-hmm. few years. Yeah. And I think that was like your earliest memory of uh, being on a skateboard. I don't mm-hmm. know if you actually started skating properly then or if you, it was just your first experience with it. But uh, yeah, can you tell us a bit about like how you picked up a skateboard and everything? Yeah, um, I'll just start by saying like I was like a little girl that I didn't want to be told I was a girl. Like I would climb trees without my shirt on and my dad would be like, you need to be wearing a shirt. <laughs> like mm-hmm. You're being weird. I was always hanging out with my brother and like his friends. And so, yeah, I would say it's definitely like a non-traditional like little girl as far as gender norms go. But yeah, so my brother got like a skateboard or we got a skateboard somehow from like the downtown like market or whatever. And those are definitely my first memories. I remember like kind of just butt boarding on that board. And I actually have a photo of myself in like a little dress, like standing on the board, like super funny. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was my first memories of like interacting with skateboarding, but I wouldn't say I like properly learned to skate. But I will say it was kind of in the back of my mind throughout my adolescence. And then when I was 12, a bunch of my friends were into like scootering and like watching X Games on TV and listening to like Green Day. Like there was sort of like this moment of like punk rock and skateboarding. And then that kind of like culminated with like, I don't know, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater coming out, which was kind of a combination of all of that, which reached kids like all over the world. And I remember scrolling through the characters and then coming upon Alyssa Steamer. And I was like, oh my God, that's a girl's name. Like, that's a girl. Like, what? And it honestly like made it real in my mind, like that like women can skateboard and whatever. So I asked for, you know, a skateboard for Christmas that year in like sixth grade. So I was like 12, 13. Okay. And then, yeah, I really started skating that summer because I I got kind of like a department store board at first. And then that summer I got like a real skateboard and learned how to like kick flip and stuff like that and it was on so you probably didn't see girls skating around you immediately when you first started right did that come a bit later in your life finding other girls to skate with and yeah i definitely like at first like you know i had a couple girlfriends like in my like crew Mm -hmm. and everyone kind of started skateboarding together 
you know, even kids that were kind of more like jocks or whatever, because skateboarding just kind of had this moment, I'd say this was like around 2000, 2002, like skateboarding had like this moment where I felt like all the kids at school had a skateboard, everyone also had a razor scooter, like it was there was just like a moment for like extreme sports or whatever. Yeah, Tony Hawk had become like a household name after he did the 900 and like Tony Hawk's pro skater came out like, anyways, there was just like this cultural moment for skateboarding this resurgence. So a bunch of my friends skated, but then it was like by eighth grade, like me and like a handful of people kept skating but most people stopped skating like regularly at least maybe they skated here or there but they kind of got back more into like traditional sports and stuff like that and so I kind of had a couple girls that started skating with me Mm -hmm. but then by eighth grade I was for sure the only girl at the skate park the only girl like trying to like learn new tricks going to the skate park every day really just being like super focused on skating Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah I read and I heard in some interviews that you did that you, unfortunately, you were subject to like bullying as a child or as a teenager. I'm not mm-hmm. sure at which age exactly, but pretty much when you were skating. So as a teenager, I guess, mm-hmm. from like boys being assholes uh, <laughs> yeah. because you were a girl skating and they were just, uh, it was just, I guess, too hard for them to accept or something. I don't know. But yeah, I was curious to hear you talk more about this because, um, yeah, I'm, I was just wondering, like, how did you, you know, deal with this at that time? And were you able to find help maybe within the skate community or your family or other friends outside skateboarding or... Yeah, I would describe it like this. Like I started going to the skate park, tons of my friends from school and that were my age, girls, guys, jocks, alternative kids, nerds, like everybody was going to the skate park. It was like a thing that everybody did, right? It went from that like abundance mode. And also like we hadn't really gone through puberty yet. Like we were all 12. Mm -hmm. And then it quickly got into a period where everybody that really loved skating stayed skating. We're like, I'm a skater. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of people kind of like were gone. And so it went from this big, like diverse community of people to all of a sudden, like a very small community. And I just, it just so happened that none of the other girls I started skating with kept skating. And not a whole lot of people that were in my age, like in my grade specifically, kept skating. There was a couple people older than me, a couple people younger than me. And it went from us you know, them seeing me just as a skater Mm -hmm. to it was very clear that they're like the other guys, like looking back, it's clear. It wasn't clear at the time, but that they had started to see women in a new light and they were like sexualizing women in weird ways. So like I was starting to get comments about like my body, specifically like my butt, specifically about what I'm wearing. Like some examples are just like guys would literally just be like girls own girls if they wear baggy pants. And I'm like, Mm. okay, cool. Like just always commenting on my gender, like I played a game of skate against this kid. I won the game of skate. He literally said, it doesn't matter because you're a girl. I'm like, just again, like, I feel like their responses were very, like, immature and, yeah, like, yeah. very related to the fact that, like, they went from being little boys and not really seeing gender to all of a sudden going through puberty and, you know, culturally and, like, I don't know, you know, maybe their older brothers or, like, pop culture or whatever was, like, influencing them to, like, sexualize women in this way. And yeah. unfortunately, like, I was, like, such an easy target Mm. so yeah i would say how i dealt with it was like i would go down to the skate park every day and then it got to a point where i was just so over it and like i would cry and like it was just like i felt like i so badly wanted to be a part of it but like just getting ditched left behind made fun of commented on not really feeling a part of something 
I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to skate by myself in the garage. And so like I ended up getting a flat bar and a box from this guy that was a little older than me, but he quit skating mm-hmm. and randomly he like gave me his box and his rail. And so all of a sudden I was like, well, I don't even need to go to the skate park. And it wasn't like the skate park I grew up at was like amazing. It was like so shitty. Um, so like <laughs> I was like stoked to just be in the garage by myself and like learn tricks by myself. And that's where I really, I feel like deepened my love for skating just on a really personal level. Like the idea that I would like I would set up my dad's like handy camera on like a tripod like this was like DV tapes like old camera I wish I still had the footage and I would like point it at the rail and I would learn like the weirdest tricks like I learned like fakie front boards like back to fakie and like I remember being like whoa like I wonder if anyone else like can do that like you know what I mean like you're just skating by yourself was so innocent yeah 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 and then I would say by the time I got to high school, like I had met some a new group of guys that were actually my age and one year older that were actually really inclusive and kind to me. And like it ended up being that like one of them had a crush on me and that was a whole another weird situation. I was like, can I just be a skater and like hang out with you guys with no like weird expectations? Mm-hmm. Anyways, but I met those guys and they were way cool and they skated a different park. And so finally I was kind of back at the skate park by like 10th grade and like filming and all that stuff. But I went through a period of like eighth through like early 10th grade where I was pretty much just skating by myself because I just was like avoiding the skate park because I would just get bullied and mm. made fun of and it just like it sucked like <laughs> I don't know how else to say it like yeah no for sure and so is that around that time that you first got involved with skate like a girl or, or did that come into your life a bit later that was a little bit later so it was kind of like sixth grade seventh grade I was skating I was like one of the crew And there was all these people skating from my school and it was like this big moment. It was really exciting and everyone was learning to ollie together. It was super cute. Eighth grade, like I was the only girl. Ninth grade, I was like, okay, I'm not even going to go down to the skate park. Like I'm, it's not worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. 10th grade, finally started meeting some other dudes and starting to skate. But I would say that's where becoming, like being one of the dudes was actually pretty gnarly because I had so much internalized misogyny because I wanted to fit in with the guys so bad. So I would like make fun of other girls or like... Oh, I see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I like wanted to fit in so badly. And so I would like try to blend in. Totally. I tried to be like super tough. So I would like pound beers and like smoke weed and like smoke cigarettes. And like, I was just trying to be like gnarly, like, you know what I mean? And we went on skate trips and filmed and it was super fun and awesome to feel a part of it. But I felt like I always had to prove something because I had that experience as a young child of like not fitting in with the skate community. So I was like, okay, here I am finally, like, don't blow it, you know? Yeah. yeah, And then, so it got to a point where it was like pretty toxic, but it was like when I think I was... 16, 17 is when I, so that was like 11th grade is when I found out about Skate Like a Girl. And I was like, I remember hearing about it and be like, there's no other girls that skate. That's so dumb. Like, (laughs) why would they call it Skate Like a Girl? Why would I want to skate like a girl? You know, again, that like internalized like misogyny and like Mm. toxicity, right? That I had been kind of baked into. Sure. And I like went to it because in the back of my mind, I was like, actually, it would be really cool if I had a bunch of like women and like queer people to skate with that I didn't, I could just be myself. Yeah. You know, like I'm not this tough guy like i'm like a big softy like i love kids like i want to help people like you know what i mean and so yeah it was like that's when scalar girl kind of came into my life was like in later high school okay okay and so so you joined them around that time i'm not sure what year it started i think early 2000s yeah 2000 yeah 
because I initially thought that she had founded Skate Like a Girl, but actually I found out that it existed prior to you joining them. Yeah. And now today you're the executive director and we'll talk about that. But uh, I was wondering, like, how was it the first few years that you, you know, kind of connected with that whole group and who kind of uh, welcomed you uh, into it? Yeah. So basically I had gone from not fitting in to finally having like a crew, but like kind of knowing that it still sucked to be like the only girl. And like at that time when I was 16, I like made a sponsor me video. And like the guy that was like the team manager told one of my guy friends like, oh yeah, Kristen's really good at skating, but she's just like not pretty enough to like be on the team. You know, like we're really looking for whatever. I don't know what they were looking for. So that was like really soul crushing. And like, yeah, it was just really hard. I was like spiraling. Like I struggled with like an eating disorder for some time and then like just had all these insecurities not really knowing who I was like drinking partying all this stuff a lot of my friends were starting to do like hard drugs like it was like definitely like an intense time I don't know yeah. and um that's like right when I found out about skate like a girl and so I really needed it and didn't know that I needed it at the time so how it kind of went about is I was on MySpace and I saw that there was an event called skate like a girl just so happened to be hosted at the skate park I went to every day after high school so I was like what like they're hosting an event at like my skate park you know that was like yeah, my yeah, vibe yeah. so i like pulled up and i was like not expecting anything and their park was taken over by like women and like queer skaters trans skaters like all these people i was like this is like i felt like i walked into like a dream i remember uh, like yeah. <laughs> riding up outside the skate park and seeing this girl like ollie down the eighth there and i was like what i was like i haven't ollied that like <laughs> you know and there was like women on the microphone there was like snow cones there was like kids learning like how to skate there was like people ripping the bowl I was just like, what? And like, people had come over from all over, like regionally. Like, there's people from Portland there, mm -hmm. from like Olympia, like the east of the mountains. Like, it was crazy. So, wow. again, like my jaw like hit the floor. I was like, what is this? And I remember like skating so hard in the contest. And then I got to meet like the founders and they were super cool. Like they were like, yo, you're really good. Like we should shoot photos sometime. Like that was like Holly, one of the founders of Slag, okay. like was like, yeah, like you should come like skate with me and like shoot photos. I've shot photos of like Amy Karen and Vanessa Torres and stuff. And I was like, dang, that's so sick. Like they kind of like Holly kind of had a connection to the industry. Mm -hmm. And then like Fleur and Nancy worked in like youth programming specifically. And so they kind of like opened the door for me to like start like going and doing like skate lessons and helping out at like the programs that we would host and yeah so I said I kind of like or how I feel like it happened was I went to that event met the founders all of a sudden was like what is this dream world I want to be a part of this like sign me up you know mm -hmm. I'm gonna sell my soul right now <laughs> on the spot and so after then I like started like helping out at the skate clinics that they had already been like kind of hosting just mm -hmm. as a volunteer and then it was like pretty clear after a little while like any idea I brought to the table like my new mentors were like yo let's make that happen so I wanted to do like a skate tour and like me and Nancy worked on that and like I wanted to design a sticker and a shirt and like you know it was like super crappy on like photoshop back in the day but like I like made it happen and they helped get me get them printed um you know <laughs> I ended up starting wheels of fortune when I was 19 they were uh -huh. like yeah let's do this so it was just kind of like any idea I had they were like stoked to like help me out yeah on board And that was so exciting for me because not only did I not fit in, not have positive mentors, I was making a lot of bad choices. I like hated myself for being a girl to all of a sudden being celebrated for exactly who I am, mm. given all this opportunity. Like it was like, for lack of like a better phrase, like it was a complete 180, like yeah, literally yeah, like, yeah. 
you know? And I went from being this, like, kid that was, like, on the path to doing, like, hard drugs with my friends and, like, fucking up and, like, you know, being all toxic to, like, by this time I was in my senior year, I was, like, so empowered and, like, organizing shit and, like, volunteering a ton and, like, Mm. I wrote all my college essays about skateboarding and volunteering with Skate Like a Girl. That's amazing. Yeah, so it was cool. I mean, obviously, like, not everything's perfect. I'm a idiot in high school, like, kid, you know? (laughs) But, like... (laughs) Honestly, like, yeah, the first couple years of Scaly Girl were amazing. It was like volunteering, helping teach the next generation, working with other volunteers and cool adults, being mentored by Holly Fleur and Nancy, Mm -hmm. you know, just having adults that were like cool, that had like tattoos and like loved skating and snowboarding and like punk, but they were, they had their shit together in a way. They were like my older siblings, you know, they were so like, I could bring anything to them. Like they really had my back and like, that was such a game changer for me and like being able to do whatever I wanted through skate like a girl that i never saw like we made zines you know like i would try to like find women and girls Alyssa steamer jamie reyes in like thrashers and trans worlds right mm-hmm. and like i went through years of not seeing our community to like working with skate like a girl and we would like make zines or we would make t-shirts we would make skate trips like all the stuff i wanted to happen like basically we were able to make it happen so yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's amazing very positive uh, influence at that time 100 yeah And so I saw somewhere that you did a BA in history and I was wondering like, um, what did you do before, like a work-wise before you eventually like started working for Skate Like a Girl? What year did you start working over there actually? Yeah, I honestly am so bad at this. I think (laughs) it was like nine years ago. So what would that be? 2014 around there? 2014. Yeah, that sounds real. Okay. (laughs) And I got involved in like 2000 and... I graduated high school in 2007, so I must have gotten involved in, like, 2006, something like that. I've been a part of the org for, like, 15-ish years. Okay. Something like that. So, I, from high school, I started going to the University of Washington, so that's local, so it's only, like, 30 minutes from, like, where I grew up, so... You know, a lot of my friends had kind of like moved and went to college in different places. And I kind of decided to stay home because UW was the best school I got into. And it was like the most affordable for my parents to like and me to like afford. So, yeah, yeah, because I stayed local, I also was able to get more involved with Skate Like a Girl. So I kept volunteering for Skate Like a Girl throughout college. Mm -hmm. um, And that really helped me maintain a sense of community and like purpose through college. Mm. Um, I feel like in college, it's like easy to like lose yourself and whatever. So it kept me skating, kept me engaged. And at that time, like, I don't know, like the economy was like not really popping and yeah yeah um <laughs> like 2008 to yeah, 2012 yeah. financial crisis you know? was around that time yeah, yeah exactly so like there wasn't a whole lot of money in skateboarding but and skateboarding was still really small for like you know women and queer skaters so sure. But yeah, outside of college, I was working at like an all girls school and then I worked, you know, at a, like a snowboard skate shop. So yeah, I was kind of working a little bit in the skate industry, you could say like at a shop and then, you know, was also working at this all girls school. I helped coordinate like the skateboarding program and they had like a snowboard ski program that I helped coordinate. Okay. So yeah. And then after I graduated college, I kind of kept doing those things like a little bit. And then I ended up seeing a job for the YMCA. They had a skate park and a teen center. Okay. And it was like a part-time job. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll try this. So I ended up working for the YMCA for, I think, three years, Mm -hmm. a little over three years. And what was cool about that was I saw how to make a nonprofit work. Mm. Like the YMCA is one of the biggest nonprofits in the world. And I highly recommend anybody, if you're trying to do your own thing or start your own business, go work work for something similar to what you're trying to create because I took so many of the lessons I learned from you know my time at the YMCA over to skate like a girl so the Mm. way a lot of like what we do 
like for instance, like the YMCA has like core values, right? And all the core values are like embedded in the programming and they're like just a cornerstone of what they do internally and externally. And so like Skate Like a Girl also has like our core values. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we have like our themes and stuff like that. Sure, so sure. Yeah. also like, you know, making sure that children are safe in programming and, and how to like have certain programs cost money to fund ones that need to be free, things like that. So I worked okay. for the Y for like three years running teen programs, a snowboard bus, teen nights, skate nights, skate contests, all kinds of stuff. So I really like, I'd say like, you know, sharpened my skills at the Y. Mm-hmm. But eventually it got to a point where I just didn't really like my boss over there. I didn't like the structure. I felt like a lot of the things that they were saying, like, I don't know. It just like, it wasn't a good fit at a certain point and I wanted to move on. And um, yeah, so I like took like a, what's called an AmeriCorps role at Skate Like a Girl. So basically it's like you get paid very little, but you okay. do get paid to like volunteer. And that's kind of how I started working for Skate Like a Girl. And after that summer of programming, I was like, I want to make this my job. Mm. I want to make this my full time job like what do I get to got to do to make it happen and I kind of slowly like day by day like started like building programs up delegating stuff to other people I slowly hired people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. built out our Portland chapter helped relaunch our SFA chapter it was just kind of like I don't know just day by day just doing my best to like you know build the capacity of the organization until now I'm like the executive director managing all the local chapter directors and stuff like that but yeah yeah, I would say like, yeah, prior to Scaly Girl, I basically like worked at the YMCA, learned everything I needed to know and brought all the good stuff and left the bad. And I basically, you know, made Scaly Girl my job solely but surely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's great. Yeah. And so how long have you been the executive director now? Has it been like you said, it's been like nine years since you started working fully there. But uh I think so. Yeah, I'd say I yeah, started working for Scaly Girl, I want to say 2014. And then, yeah, I guess it's been a little bit longer. I don't know. I'm so bad with years. Like, I honestly, it's all a blur to okay. me. And especially the last couple years with COVID and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think I've been ED roughly since, like, 2017. Okay. Basically, as soon as we had, like, leadership. Because for a while, I was sort of, like running the Seattle programming, like managing it, Mm -hmm. but then also supporting our Portland and SFA um, chapters as they were kind of like emerging. And then it got to a point where I was like, okay, like this is way too much. I need someone to run Seattle and like own that. And then I need to manage everything to kind of support it. So it went from like me doing Seattle and executive director. So it's kind of a hybrid role to me hiring a Seattle director and then was able to manage all three cities. But still Seattle was like the biggest chapter kind of helping to like fund the other chapters. And then I'd say the last like couple of years, we've really tried to like even out the chapters. So like Seattle is not like the behemoth and the other chapters are smaller. It's like all the chapters are very similar in terms of like what they do every year. So we've kind of even things out. Obviously there's like regional differences, but yeah. So I think that was around 2017 when I kind of made that shift to being executive director and not directly running Seattle stuff. But like I said, I'm really bad with dates. So I could be be (laughs) off by a year or two. Okay. Yeah. No worries. And so on the side of Skate Like a Girl, you, you've obviously kept skating. I saw that you went pro, I think, last year, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2020, yeah. So yeah, were you sponsored this whole time? Or were you kind of just skating for fun and sponsors came a bit later? Or 
Yeah, I've kind of like had sponsors throughout the years and they kind of are fleeting, you mm-hmm. know, and also especially for a long time, people didn't know what to do with women skaters. Like they mm-hmm. would kind of hook them up for a little bit. Like I kind of like ebbed and flowed. Like at one point I was getting flowed shoes from like DC. At one point I got flowed boards from Santa Cruz and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. I would say now the landscape's a little different where like women actually do properly ride for the team. You don't just like get sent like one box one time yeah, or like here or there. And then I I rode for that snowboard skateboard shop that I work for for a while. And then I ended up starting riding for 35th, which is just a skate shop. So I've I've been on the 35th team for a long time. And I've been on the Meow skateboards team for a long time. So I'd say Meow and 35th are kind of like my oldest sponsors. And then Mm -hmm. more recently, I started riding for Crux in the last, I think in 2021, I started riding for Crux and like Spitfire. Okay. But yeah, yeah, I definitely say like I'm more on the side of skating for fun and filming because like I like to put out video parts like I have no illusion that I'm, you know, the best skateboarder in the world and should only be skating. I also feel like that would be the detriment of my community. I feel like I'm a really good community organizer, delegator. For sure. You know, I have a vision for what I want to see in skateboarding and try to combine my vision with what I'm hearing kind of on the ground level. What would be cool to see or from young people that I'm around, you know, where are the gaps, where are the needs. And Mm -hmm. so I I feel like uh, I'd say I skate for fun, but I do like to complete things like I like to challenge myself. I love street skating. I love fixing spots. I love filming. I have a VX like I love making videos like all that stuff. Yeah, I honestly wish I had more time to do that. I'd say like that's kind of a goal of mine this year is to like put more time into the creative i definitely dedicated so much of my life to scale like a girl and community organizing and yeah i'm definitely like a go-to person people are like hey kristen are we doing something for this and i'm like (laughs) ah okay i guess i'll do it and i think yeah in the next next year i want to like you know because like the clock's kind of ticking for me it's like i'm 33 so it's like i'm not obviously i'm not super old or anything yeah, I mean, it's just like, I'm not, I don't know, for a long time, I like have wanted to go back to grad school, you know, oh, yeah. and I think that would be really a really awesome opportunity. I love being in an educational environment. But I'm like, I know I can do that when I'm 45. But sure. I probably yeah. can't, tr- like, skate street at 45 the way that I can now. So yeah, yeah, differently, at least. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So I want to like, you know, start another video part this year. And you just released one actually, right? For Crux Trucks, I saw For Crux, yeah. 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 That was Yeah, sick. totally. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited to get going on the next project. So yeah, that's the game plan. And so, so to bring it back to Skate Like a Girl, I was interested in like uh, the Wheels of Fortune events that you've, uh, I think you, you were the one who kind of started this whole thing. Yeah. And uh, I was wondering like, how did it all start and how has it grown and like, uh, what's like the next edition going to look like? And Yeah, so I would say right around the time that I met Skate Like a Girl, that was kind of like my, probably my first early like peak in like my skateboarding abilities and stuff like that. Like I had been skating like local contests and there was never really a girls division. And if there was, there was only like me and one other person. And mm-hmm. it was just awkward, you know, cause a lot of times they'd be like a little kid, you know? <laughs> um, so I grew up skating those regional contests. So I ended up like skating against the boys a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. Cause I was pretty consistent and confident. Like I would end up getting like second and third place more so not because my tricks were that better, but just cause I landed more, the guys would kind of like be sending it and I was more calculated. I'm like, okay, well, if I don't land anything, I'm not going to get any points. So I might as well just land a bunch of stuff and yeah, do the things I know I can do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I kind of grew up skating the contest. And then right around the time I met Skate Like a Girl, Holly took me to a skate event called Goofy vs. Regular. And they did some kind of like girls contest on the side. And so I ended up going to like the pro contest and skating with like, you know, Leo Baker and Marissa Del Santo and stuff like that. Okay. 
in my experience there, like, I saw the way in which, like, women were kind of, like, a sideshow to, like, the guys' event. I saw that, like, the prize money was so much less. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, damn, like, they just literally took the guys' event. And they're like, okay, here you go, girls. You can have a crumb of what we're doing over here. Yeah. And so that didn't really sit very well. It was, like, with me. And then that summer, there was, like, a skate event or a skate trip that we organized. Like I had mentioned earlier, we went out to Winnipeg to a girls' skate event called Chicks Flip Out. And I went out to that, and it was so sick being at a skate contest. Even though it was more grassroots, there was, like, women skaters from, like, all over. Mm -hmm. All over Canada and, like, from the United States, too. And there wasn't, like, huge prize money or anything or giant sponsors, but it was, like, funny. They got us these, like, giant checks when we, like, you know, when you placed in the contest, you got a giant check. And it was kind of cool. So, So I would say, like... My experience kind of growing up skating, like, the events in my community and then going to kind of more of a high-profile pro contest and kind of being on the sideshow mm-hmm. and then going to Chicks Flip Out and being like, wow, we're really, like, the centerpiece. This is rad. This is, like, run by women. This is, like, for us, by us. Yeah. And on the way back from that skate trip, I was like, okay, like, I want to do an event. I want to do an event. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And I, like, came up with the idea for Wheels of Fortune on the way back. And I was like, I want to do an event that's just, like, small grassroots but all about our community. I want it to be like funny Mm -hmm. and not super serious. And that was kind of the ethos that I put into it. Like I wanted to just like celebrate like our community and bring people together. Cause also like harkening back to like my first event with Skate Like a Girl, it was a contest and it was so rad to see other girls like from all over the world Mm. or not all over the world, but like all over like the region, you know? So I wanted to kind of recreate that and for Skate Like a Girl. So yeah, I was like 19 years old and just was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. like, you know, just asked friends to help me out. And yeah, we made it happen. And it was funny, like, there was really no sponsors back then. There was no like cash money. I made the trophies in my apartment with my roommate. They were like spray painted Barbie dolls. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Wow. So it was like, <laughs> it was very budget, but it was really yeah, fun. And it was cool. Like, Andy came yeah. out. Yeah, totally. So it was cool. And then it just, yeah, slowly built year after year. And it got really big, like around the seventh WAF, because that was when it became an X Games qualifier, or it was just for that year. Okay. And so all of a sudden we had like Jen Soto, Mariah Duran, all these like bigger names than like women skating now, Mm -hmm. like coming out to try to like get their spot to go to X Games. And then that's when we started doing like witch hunt and building out the weekend. It no longer was just one day. It had kind of expanded into like a multi-day event. So yeah. When is like the next edition? I'm not sure when was the last one and when is the next one? Yeah, great question. So we had the pandemic, obviously. So we didn't host WAF for like three and a half years. Okay. And to kind of bring it back, we decided to do it in September. So September of 2022 was the last WAF. And we kind of had it be like back to school themed, you know, kind of coming in with that sort of energy because it had been a while and our community had grown so much over the pandemic. Like so many new skaters started in the pandemic. Yeah. And then our next one is going to be May 2024. So not this May, but the following May. In a, year, in a bit more than a year. Okay. Yeah, because traditionally it has been, it started out being like a winter contest because I was like, aha, it would be funny to host a, like a girl's skate contest in the middle of winter. I don't know why I thought that was funny as a teenager, <laughs> but that was my vibe. And then we slowly shifted it to being in May because the weather is so much better in Seattle. Yeah, and sure. it's like a way better experience for people to come and visit our city from different places in the world when the weather's nicer. Yeah. And then we did September for this last walk as like a back to school, you know, resurgent reunion vibes. And then, yeah, it's, we're moving it back to May. Okay. 
And I'm kind of inspired by like Dime Glory Challenge and other events that I've heard are going to be not every single year, mm -hmm. but like every couple of years, every year and a half. So that's kind of like our vibe with Wheels of Fortune is I want people to really want it and I want it to, it's a lot of work <laughs> like sure, yeah. to run an event. Like yeah. I'm like moving furniture, lugging tables at like one in the morning on Saturday night and, you know, singing karaoke and then I'm supposed to skate the next day and it's just like yeah. burnout city committee. So yeah, I think hosting it every other year is like a good look for us just so that the community really wants it. Everyone shows up. Yeah. Doesn't feel like too much, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I've seen like some video recaps of, uh, of some of these events and they look uh, really rad and uh, congrats on that. It's uh, super cool. Thank you. So I mentioned earlier that you just turned pro for uh, Meow, Meow Skateboards. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was wondering, like, how, how did you connect with them? And how did it feel to turn pro? I mean, it's obviously every, every skater's dream. Was it a dream of yours or was it kind of not really on your mind, as you said, as you were skating and just having fun with it, not necessarily having like a very thought through career path, skating wise, I mean. And yeah, how did it feel to turn pro for especially this company with all of your good friends? And, and uh, how does it feel today to be a pro? Does it motivate you to skate even more or is it kind of the opposite? Like, oh, I'm pro now, like whatever, I can chill now, I can just relax. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I already know the, the answer to that. But uh, yeah, I was just curious to ask you a bit about like uh, this whole experience of turning pro. Yeah, I think I started riding for Meow in like 2012. Like I was one of the original riders and um, I had just gone on the skate trip to like Australia. And I remember like coming back from that. And then I saw Lisa and I think she told me about Meow. And then later she called me and she started sending me boards. So I definitely been getting boards from Meow forever. And Lisa's like the homie, like mm -hmm. prior to Meow, she ran Girl Skate Network and, you know, would go out to all the events and film them. And I grew up like going onto her website, the side project, and then watching the Villa Villa Cola video. Mm -hmm. Like, so much of what Lisa's created, like, kept me skating, especially in those dark times when I was, like, felt like such a loner and everyone hated me and, mm. like, I couldn't even go to the skate park and stuff like that. Like, the videos and the content that she created, like, saved me. So, first and foremost, like, Lisa's family. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, I would never expect her to do anything. Riding for Meow is not just, like, a brand to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I said, it's like a family thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How it feels, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't have ever any, like, okay, I'm gonna go pro, like, you you know, like this is my life's work. Cause to mm -hmm. me, skateboarding is so much bigger than that. And yeah. I feel like, you know, the name of your podcast speaks to the same idea that like we're complex humans and, you know, being good at skateboarding, quote unquote, is like not the only thing I can offer. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the community. And I've always had that outlook and, you know, mm -hmm. so I never really, I didn't really expect it at all. Like it was a complete surprise to me. We were actually in LA filming for a trans world skate and create. And I was just getting interviewed. And then all of a sudden everyone just walked up and yes, I, my I husband was there. Uh, Vanessa and Torres brought the board or something. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's footage yeah, of which it. Is a so, trip. Yeah. Yeah, because I grew up watching videos of her and wanting to dress, act, talk, do her tricks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I idolized her as yeah, a kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was really special for it to come from her. And the board was designed by my friend Jesse Van. And mm -hmm. 
another skater I grew up looking up to and a, f- a good friend of mine now today. So it was, you know, just really, really special to me. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, I didn't expect it at all. And it was definitely a trip seeing all the congrats and how supportive everybody was. Cause you know, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, am I good enough? Like, yeah. am I just getting this? Cause I've been riding for me out forever. Like why there's so many other better skaters. Like you can get all in your head, sure, but sure. you know, and as far as like going pro and how it like makes me feel like, mm-hmm. I'd say for a while, like, it was a little weird because, like, I don't know, I was at the skate park one time and, like, people just kind of comment on it in a weird way and made me feel uncomfortable. Like, they couldn't just be like, hey, congrats. It would be like, oh, so you're pro now. Like, (laughs) oh, are you riding your board? You know, it just (laughs) made me feel weird because, like, to me, I never, yeah, like, it never really was, like, something that I expected or felt like I fully deserved or, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, again, like, I want to give back to skateboarding more than I take. It's not about me. So, sure. Yeah, it was definitely like a hard experience, but I would say now I'm at peace with it. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm a pro skater. Like, and I'm kind of like, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be a possibility model for other people that are like, you know what? I am not just going to focus on being good at skating. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to give back to my community. I'm going to make shit happen. I'm going to find a gap and I'm going to fill it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like not just be selfish and take from skating and be entitled, but give back. So Mm. my hope is that like people are inspired by that in a way. And, And I think they are like... You know, if you look at certain skaters like in their styles or what they're all about, people fall in love with skaters because they they fit their identity. It's not just about how good they are. Mm -hmm. And I think a perfect example of that is like Nigel Houston. Like he's irrefutably like one of the best skaters on planet Earth. But does he resonate with the majority of skaters? I don't think so. Yeah, not a majority for sure. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's space in skating for everybody and there's space in skating for me. So yeah, yeah, I would say it's gotten to a point where it is motivating in the sense that I'm like, yeah, I'm a pro. I should be skating as much as I can. I'm a pro. I should be asking people to film me and get photos and not be uncomfortable with that. Yeah. You know, because for so long I was like overly humble about it or I like didn't want to brag and I didn't want to come across like entitled. But Mm. now I'm like, you know what? It doesn't have to be that. Like if I'm not that, I'm not that so mm-hmm. just like kind of taking up that space in a way so aside from all of everything we just mentioned you also play music in a punk band i mm-hmm. think you played the bass right yep and so i was wondering like how did you develop your interest for music did that start as a teenager when you were skating or did that come a bit later and uh, how much time does uh, that specific endeavor take in your day-to-day life nowadays Yeah, I love music. It's definitely like a secondary passion to skateboarding. But I started playing music really young. My parents like forced me, which like as a young person, like kind of sucked. But as an adult, I'm like, I'm so thankful that they made me learn music, right? Like I feel so grateful because not everyone has access to that. So I grew up playing like piano, violin, saxophone, flute, like every like I always was like in band and stuff. Mm -hmm. And my dad always wanted to play music and my mom always wanted to play music as a kid. So they it was kind of one of those things where my parents didn't, they grew up really humbly and they didn't have access to music. And so my dad started playing music late in life. My mom's always tried, but just like, it's hard for her, but she loves music. And so my brother played the drums and like, I, you know, piano and stuff like that. So I wouldn't say we're like some like, you know, music like family necessarily, but music's always been in our home and a part of like what we do. So we're not like, no one in my music, in my family is like a prodigy or anything, but Mm -hmm. we all love it. So it's always been around. And then I'd say in like sixth, seventh grade, I started taking like guitar lessons and then like was in bands and like, I don't know, I had like my band played in the talent show or whatever in like sixth grade, stuff like that. Okay. 
recorded some music and played shows and stuff through high school with like kind of a post-hardcore project. And then by college, I was didn't really have a lot of connections in music and kind of fell off. But then I'd say around 2013, 2014, started getting more like interested in music again and then played in like a band with my friend Shari and Ambika. They both skated. It was kind of like a skate punk band and mm-hmm. then kind of mm-hmm. got into the music scene a little bit that way. Joined like an all girls like hardcore band called Lowest Priority. Okay. We played for a little while. So that kind of like i would say around that time also like i met my partner alex and he's a drummer and his number one passion is music so that was kind of an influence on me to kind of harken back to my roots of loving punk music and like hardcore and stuff like that i also like quit drinking so i was like really influenced by like straight edge like hardcore youth of today and like yeah gorilla biscuits and stuff like that i started eating vegan and like Mm -hmm. that's where sort of i feel like i found myself identity where i'm like wow i feel like i'm not doing anything in my life finally that's for anybody except me like i feel 100 percent confident in my skin my life choices i'm not drinking to fit in i'm not you know doing anything really to fit in i'm 100 percent like being myself your true self yeah mm-hmm. so and currently i play in punitive damage it's a band that's with a bunch of really like close friends slash family like mm-hmm. It's me and Alex. Alex's best friend is Mike. Mike plays guitar. Mike's sister sings. Steph and our super good friend TJ plays second guitar. And I feel like my band is like my family. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm super stoked to play bass just because I used to play guitar and I kind of struggle with guitar. I've broken my wrists so many times skating. Oh, yeah. Bass is a little easier on my arms and hands and wrists. And oh, okay, I feel okay. like I can really like rock out and have fun and it's less stressful than playing guitar. So I really love playing the bass. My dad's a bassist. So it's kind of cool to have that in common with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Punitive Damage is just like a hardcore punk band. And Do you do like, like a lot of uh, concerts and stuff like that? Or, or are you more like yeah. uh, trying to record songs? Or do you do both? Or Yeah, yeah. So we have a couple seven inches little like EPs or demos or whatever. And then we have an LP that came out in 2022 mm-hmm. called This is the Blackout. So that's pretty recent. I came out back in October, which is like on Spotify, Apple Music and all that stuff. And we're actually about to go on tour with Initiate. We're doing a West Coast tour. We also have a UK tour in April. And then we're coming to Europe in July. So maybe I can get you on the list. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure we're going to play in France. So, Yeah, yeah, so I'll definitely let you know. Absolutely. Yeah, so we definitely have a lot more stuff coming out. Since our LP dropped, like I feel like we've gotten a lot of lot more attention and which was really, really cool and mm-hmm. such a special experience because I've never really been in a band that's like that successful. So it's been a cool experience and I'd say my life is always like skateboarding and music, skateboarding and music, skateboarding and music. And you know, later this year, like I'm gonna go to Cambodia in an exchange trip with Skate Like a Girl and Skatistan. And then I'm going to fly from Glasgow straight to Phnom Penh and go on that trip. So like my life feels a little crazy, but I feel like I'm constantly like skateboarding music, skateboarding music. And it makes me feel really balanced and fulfilled that I'm not just one thing, but I can kind of find joy in either. That's super interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go very well together, obviously. I mean, there's so many people in skateboarding that, you know, either became musicians after they retired from pro skating or just as yourself are involved in making music while they're skating professionally. But yeah, yeah. it seems like a very complimentary kind of outlet to skateboarding. Yeah, I feel really lucky too. Like a lot of like skaters or whatever friends of mine through skating will come to shows and get into music and I'll see them like get interested in music. Like there's been a couple girls that I've talked to like, dude, I just got a bass. Like, Mm -hmm. 
you know, like they get excited about playing music. And again, going back to like, if there's anything I can do through my individual expression is like, just be a possibility model for other people that you don't have to just be a skater or just be a musician. Like you can be both, you can be multifaceted. And it's been really cool to see more of that kind of come out, especially for like women and trans people like that. I know either in skating or music, there's so much crossover. Like I've taught so many people I met through punk and hardcore how to skate and now they're skaters and then vice versa like there's been skaters that are like getting interested in music and coming to shows so it's cool to see it blend together yeah yeah that's amazing you just mentioned this trip to cambodia Uh, i'm kind of interested like you said it's uh it's kind of an exchange with skateristan yeah can you tell me a bit about this exchange yeah so we're gonna take i think like 10 11 of our staff to cambodia to go visit their site for about like 10 days and help them with some programming they're running learn what they're doing to create inclusive skateboarding they specialize or focus i should say on like working with youth with various disabilities so we're gonna learn what that looks like and then they are gonna come and visit us in seattle in july nice and so they're gonna kind of learn about how we create inclusive spaces for like women and trans skaters specifically Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like a, this cultural exchange and they approached us about it last year. And yeah, it's finally kind Happening. of more on the yeah. horizon. We're about to buy flights and stuff like that. So I'm super excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's just such a rad experience for our team to, they got like a grant or like they received like funding for this. So it's pretty cool. So it's something that we would never be able to afford. So it's really a cool experience for our staff to be able to do that. I'm again jumping to something else, but kind of linked to everything we're talking about. But uh, I saw that you went to Pushing Borders in Malmo in 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, you participated in a talk over there that I listened to again uh, earlier today, which was super interesting with like Leo Valls and uh, Gustav Eden was chairing it. And I don't remember all the names of the people who were participating. But uh, but yeah, I was uh, wondering, like, how, how did you enjoy this uh, experience uh, going to, to this uh, particular edition of Pushing Borders in Malmö? And um, do you think something like that would uh, work well maybe in the States? Yeah, so my experience with Pushing Borders was awesome. I didn't go to the first one, but I wanted to. And then I was able to go to the second one. They got me there, which was really, really generous and amazing. And yeah, I would just say like the overall like experience was amazing. Mm -hmm. Although it feels inefficient to like bring everyone together in person, I do feel like it does create like a cultural moment. And it's like a quicker pivot than if people are just talking about things online, like bringing everyone together and having even the panels are amazing. But what I remember particularly was more so the informal time. So the little skate sessions or side conversations or debriefing what happened or, you know, during the Q&A, like those types of moments were like really special. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was really stoked to be a part of that. And I honestly don't remember anything that I particularly (laughs) said on either of the (laughs) panels I was on. But it was it was really cool to be there. And I really just want to give a shout out again to like the organizers. Mm -hmm. Like I know everything that they created. One of them was like a new dad and another one like there was just like so much going on for them in their personal lives. And the fact that they made time and space to create this. And there was definitely some experiences where they like had made some mistakes and I was really proud of them. For like getting on the microphone and like correcting them and speaking to them and learning and there was just like so much growth and like because you know there's like people that have these like really hard life experiences in particular to skating mm. 
you know, and then we have other people that are kind of didn't have as much of those experiences or the lived experiences trying to learn. And it's really tricky to bridge the gap between people that have a certain privilege that they don't maybe even acknowledge or know that they have. And then people that are speaking to their experience. And, you know, there's a lot of space for people to have all different kinds of ideas. And, you know, I do feel like the bridge was made, you know, there was so much communication and community and stuff built there. And I see a lot of the projects that were represented or individuals still active today doing those Mm. projects. And so that's why pushing borders, I think was so important because it like reminded people, it stoked people, it got everyone pumped. Unfortunately, we went right into the pandemic almost right after. So (laughs) that was really hard because we had built this momentum and but as far as like it working in the states, I know Ryan Lay is hosting Slow Impact. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, personally, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's heavily influenced by like Wheels of Fortune, but also like Copenhagen Open and also yeah. Pushing Borders. He's kind of creating like a something similar to all three of those events. And right, right, yeah. Personally, I'm devastated. I can't go. I'm on tour with my band. That's a good reason, though. Yeah. Yeah. I really wish I could be there. I'm so bummed. I'm going to have to like turn my Instagram off for like that week. (laughs) I just don't want to be reminded that I'm missing out on it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think it could definitely work in the States. I mean, Ryan's going to do it with slow impact. I know there's some other folks considering organizing stuff at wheels of fortune. This last one, we hosted panels and workshops and stuff like that. So I kind of am seeing like the model that pushing borders created with bringing skaters together and talking more on an intellectual level and centering the events around community communication social skate projects centering it there and not like who's the best skater Mm. and like partying like it kind of was more focused on the intellectual side of skating and i think because they did that that has influenced like so many events it influenced wheels of fortune Mm. it influenced slow impact you know you can see it kind of permeating so again big shout out to the organizers they made a huge cultural shift happen in skateboarding So I usually end up these conversations with the same question with everybody, which is kind of what's the most valuable lesson that you feel you've learned from skating? And um, for yourself, it could be from actually skating, like the act of skating, but it can be something that you learn through, you know, doing skate like a girl, all the other things that you've been involved with around skateboarding. Like, is there something that comes to mind as a particularly valuable lesson? I mean, there's so much that I've learned just from skating, like, you know, taking something that's really scary Mm -hmm. that like, I don't know how to do that seems really intimidating and breaking it down, putting time in every day and chipping away at something and finally accomplishing it. Like, I don't know, the biggest one that comes to mind as far as skating is like learning tray flips was like, Mm -hmm. I remember not even understanding what the board was doing for like a whole year. The next year was like kind of learning how to flick it, but it's more like a varial flip. And then it was like the next, you know what I mean? It took me like years, but I remember the moment when I finally landed one like out of a bank. And then I remember landing them, you know, over hips and then, you know, on flat ground and doing one in a line for the first time. Like, you know, the idea that like some things are going to take a really long time and some mm. things like it's not going to be easy. Like even today, like I feel like I'm still relearning tray flips like every time I skate. <laughs> yeah. But like that success isn't just about doing the thing or accomplishing the goal success to me is more about the process the journey you know the confidence that i gain from not being scared of something like if anything honestly skateboarding taught me to navigate fear to be bold like Mm -hmm. to be brave even when you don't know what's going to happen to believe in yourself you know and skateboarding taught me i think to believe in myself like that like just because you like eat shit and you know are going to be unsuccessful forever that's not your whole story Mm -hmm. you know you're not a failure if you failed 
you're a failure if you like give up basically. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I really think that that's carried me into like every facet of my life, like with my community organizing and scale like a girl and all that. Like even with music, honestly, like sometimes I am like scared to get up there because so and so is in the audience, or what if I mess up, mm-hmm. you know? But then I'm like, you know what? Like life is about having fun. Like it's not about I'm not going to get caught up in the fear. I'm just going to move through it. So. Okay, so let's do some of these friends' questions. So I have one from Michael Burnett that I just <laughs> interviewed not too long ago. Sick. So he said, is there a downside to turning one of your favorite activities into a job? Uh, I would say, yeah, if you don't have good boundaries with it. I'll give an example, like, or I guess good boundaries are good expectations. Mm-hmm. I feel like I do have to carve out my time that I get to spend skating, which is just about me. I'm not meeting up with a volunteer. I'm not doing, I'm not at a skate, like a girl event. I'm not, you know, I am just skating for me with my friends and there's no expectation other than to have fun. Like I have to like get that onto my calendar. If I expect that I can go to like skate, like a girl's women in trans sessions and get that, it's not going to happen. Okay. Like, cause if I'm at a space, that's run by skate like a girl a lot of times like i'm seen as kristen from skate like a girl right i can't turn off my face like (laughs) i'm not gonna all of a sudden be some random person you know i'm a leader Mm. and um you know sometimes it is fun and i can like just like i do go and skate the sessions and i still have a lot of fun but it's not the exact same thing sure so yeah i would say like there's downsides i guess But I'd say there's more positives than negatives. Like I'm able, because skateboarding is a part of my job, I'm able to influence the culture. I'm able to be a possibility model for other people. And I see a lot more benefits than I like. It's like every so often I like don't get to skate as much because I'm like at a skate event and everyone's trying to talk to me or asking me to film them or I have a job or something. So Mm. it's like I got to manage my expectations around going to like a skate like a girl space in an event. Like, I don't know. One example is like at WAF this year, I didn't get to skate the contest because I was just tired because I worked so hard the day before and mm. into the wee hours of the night and I didn't get enough sleep and I couldn't skate the contest so okay. that was like one downside the other week I was at a skate like a girl event and I really wanted to skate because it was open skate but I had a job of filming clips for people mm-hmm. and like everyone was taking forever to film their clips so like <laughs> I didn't end up getting that much time to skate and I was really frustrated mm. so it's like yeah again managing expectations and then making me time to skate like yeah Next week after my tour, I'm going to just stay in LA and skate for a week and not work. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. So again, got to carve out that time. Okay. I have an audio one here. Let's see. I don't remember if she says her name. Hey, Kristen. All right. Here's my question for you. So between being the executive director of Skate Like a Girl and being a professional skateboarder and writing and running Mess Mag and doing a bunch of side writing projects as well as being an awesome partner and daughter to your parents, mentoring people in the community and just being super involved in the community. You are one of the most efficient people that I know when it comes to time management. And I'm curious if you have any tips for us in how you manage your time so efficiently. All right. Thanks. That's Kim. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Kim uh, that I work with at Scaly Girl. Yeah, um, I would say just nuts and bolts logistics. I put everything on my work calendar. I don't have multiple calendars. I don't have a written calendar okay. and then like a, you know, a digital one. And then I don't have different calendars. I just put everything on the same calendar. Okay. So that's like my first thing. My second thing I would say is most nights before I go to bed, I look at my next day. Mm-hmm. 
Or on like a Sunday or a Monday, looking ahead at my week, I look at my days. If I have eight meetings scheduled on like a random day, I'm going to look through all those meetings and go, what meetings can move? What is not priority? Mm. What do I need to get done this week? So I feel like I'm efficient with my time because I'm not scared to be not efficient with my time. I'm Mm. not scared to ask people, hey, can we do this next week? Hey, are you okay moving this? Or, you know, I'm constantly looking ahead and like rearranging things because I know every day I need to make time to skate or be active. Like yeah, yeah. I need to go to yoga or I need to go on a walk or I need to go skating. Sure. Like I know if I don't do those things, I'm going to suck at everything else. Yes, I understand. I also have like goals around like making time with my partner and making time with my family. Mm-hmm. Like I try to do that at least once a week. So I have certain, I guess my, my third tip is I just have specific goals around how much time I'm spending doing the things that fill my cup because... Mm-hmm. I could spend all week only working on Scalic Girl. I could spend all week like only working, you yeah. know, and not yeah. having time for joy. And like, I'm sorry, but like, I don't get paid enough from the <laughs> stuff that I do. I work at a nonprofit. I don't get paid enough to put every ounce of me into it. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I got to like reel it in. Okay. Yeah. So definitely making time for myself is crucial. Making time for my family, the things that fill my cup and, and not being scared to like block. I literally block it off on my calendar. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, I'm going skating and I like put it on my calendar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very good advice right there, yeah. Okay, this next question is from Ted Barrow. So he said, what nickname best describes your skating? Flickasaurus, Rex, or Kebs? (laughs) What did he say, Flickasaurus? Yeah, that's what I'm reading, Flickasaurus, I think so, yeah. Like a flick uh, from a kickflip or something, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't feel like I have very good flick, at least with my regular kickflip. My switch flip flick, I will say I'm pretty proud of. Oh, yeah, there was a really, really good one in your your recent part, yeah, of this, like, uh, bump thing, yeah. Yeah, my, like, my front foot, like, I feel like I've broken my ankle, like, a few times and stretched those ligaments out that when I go to flick, like, my foot just stays kind of bent. Okay. It doesn't really flick out, but my left foot, when I do switch flips, doesn't do that. Okay. So, yeah, I would say probably more Kebs. I don't know, like, people call me Kebs because it's just a combination of my first and last name, but I feel like it, Kebs, like, is, I like when people call me that because I like having a nickname. I like, I just feel like that's very true to, like, skateboarding and punk to have, like, a nickname and not go by like my actual name or be mm. called like miss or miss ebling or like anything like that or mrs you know what i mean yeah i also don't really like being called like executive director like i don't hate it it's my title but you know i feel like i'm a professional teenager like i'm literally just trying to have as much fun and do as much good in my community and i'm focused on just being me and being a big kid and all the stuff i wanted to have happen when i was 14 years old i'm trying to make that shit happen yeah, and i'm yeah, trying to yeah. make it happen for as many other people as possible so i feel like kebs really really personifies that Okay, let's do this one. Let's see. Hello, Kristen. When did your love of roller coasters begin? And what are the top three left on your bucket list? Okay, this is fun because it's tied to skating. Thank you, Lisa. Lisa is my fellow theme park lover. She's a (laughs) Disneyland head. I'm a little more into thrill rides, but I also love Disney. I've actually (laughs) been to Disneyland with Lisa, which is so sick. I hope to go with her soon again. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so my love of roller coasters happened because, so Alex and I, my partner, got yep. married in October. Mm-hmm. And then shortly thereafter, there was an exposure skate contest down in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So classic me, instead of us going on like a honeymoon, I was like, hey, want to go to California with me? I'm going to skate this contest and we can kind of hang out. And it'll sort of be like a skate trip slash mm-hmm. our honeymoon. <laughs> and, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money at the time. My husband's from Canada, so he couldn't work in the United States for a long time. So, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. So that was pretty much all of the honeymoon we could create. So we went down to California the night before the exposure contest. I'm trying to get a clip for my video part with my friend Shane. He does like skate rats. I was filming for a video part at the time. Yep. And I went to do this trick and I landed on my board. Perfect. I thought I was rolling away and then I rolled my ankle off my board. Oh, and so I had to go to the emergency room. Anyways, we went to the emergency room. My phone got stolen while I was getting x-rays. It was like this super oh, horrible experience. Like it was super rough. I was in a lot of pain. I ended up having like a high ankle sprain i got crutches so all of a sudden our honeymoon skate trip turned into like what the hell are we gonna do yeah yeah. so we're sitting at shane's house you know i had just like we walked like a mile to the phone store to get me a new phone and we're just sitting there like okay we need to do something fun and i was like why don't we go to like knott's berry farm or like disneyland or something so we ended up just doing that for like our honeymoon (laughs) and i had always been scared of roller coasters but i was like had such like i'm so frustrated and annoyed at myself and it was sick because i had a wheelchair they let us cut all of the lines Mm -hmm. so we got to ride all the coasters in the park and all the rides that we wanted to and we like kind of dared ourselves to like do we kind of like one-upped each other we're like oh let's do this one next oh i'm scared we like (laughs) we go watch it for a little while and then you know because we could cut the line we didn't have to like think about it we were like fuck it let's go Mm. so that was i would say when my love of roller coasters started and then solely after that that was just kind of a thing that me and my husband would do together just to like be kids and you know i don't know i didn't really grow up like having my parents like take me to do all kinds of like theme park things it's not really something my family loves but i always wanted to do it Uh and alex grew up being like one of six so they kind of had limited experience like doing stuff so it's (laughs) kind of something that we wish we got to do more in our childhood and so it's just something that we do for fun okay as far as my last three bucket list coasters there's a new one in florida there's actually two new ones in florida so i need to do a florida trip super soon Mm mm-hmm there's Velocicoaster and then there's Iron Guazi. So those are two new Florida coasters. So I'm going to say those two. And then I really want to go to Energylandia in Poland. And I can't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure it's there. It's this coaster called Zadra, which is okay. kind of similar to Iron Guazi, but I really want to ride that one. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say Iron Guazi, Zadra, and Velocicoaster are my three bucket list coasters right now. Cool. Super nerdy. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, uh, I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. I think going back to like navigating fear, like yeah, roller coasters yeah. are such an easy, safe way to teach yourself to navigate sure. fear. Like, fuck it. I'm going on it. I'm strapped in. If I die on a roller coaster, that's actually kind of sick. <laughs> like, you know, like that's like what I tell myself, you know, because I still get really scared. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. yeah. But I force myself to do it and I feel like I'm slowly being desensitized to the fear. Okay. Let's see. Kristen, this is Alex, your husband. If money was no object, what song would you want to skate to? It could also have been a song that's already been used in a skate video. But what would be the ultimate song? Ooh, ultimate song. He would do this to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I'm nervous to mess up my recording on my phone, but I want to look at my, like, Spotify. Like, I'm like... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to answer on the spot, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think... Um, a song by your band, maybe? Or, or would you rather not well, skate I guess to... My, well, that would be free. Yeah. That would be oh, free. Yeah. 
I'm going to say probably like Mariah Carey. I would probably do that. Which song? Let me just look it up really quick. <laughs> go ahead. I go think ahead. this is what it's called. Yeah, I would probably do Fantasy by Mariah Carey. I think that would be legendary. Other than that, maybe, because I would just be like, if money was no object, like, you know, yeah, that yeah. would probably be an extremely expensive song to ever sure. skate to. And I think it's a vibe. And it's just like goofy, which is fits me. Mm-hmm. But I also think like something, I don't know, like maybe like a Bad Brains song. Like, I don't know. A lot of people have skated to Bad Brains. Yeah. yeah. But I think they're super sick. I think Bad Brains Attitude would mm-hmm. be a cool song. I love that one. Or Don't Need It. Those two Bad Brain songs, I think, are probably some of my favorites as far as like punk goes. But I feel like those wouldn't be like that expensive, you know? So I'd go <laughs> Mariah Carey if money was no object. But I would love to skate to a Bad Brain song for sure. Cool. Let's wrap it up here because otherwise I'll just keep asking you questions for another no three hours. Yeah, but, uh, you're good. Thank you so much, Kristen. That was really fun. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, yeah, good luck with uh, everything you have going on in the next few months. And uh, yeah, let me know when if you do come to Europe. Uh, I'd love to go see you live. Uh, you and your band play live. That would be super fun. Yeah, maybe skate a little bit or something too. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Thanks so much. That's it for my conversation with Kristen. Follow her on Instagram at andawamaybar. Not sure how to pronounce that, but it's spelled A-N-D-A-W-H-A-M-Y-B-A-R. Follow also Meow Skateboards at Meow Skateboards, Skate Like a Girl at Skate Like a Girl, and Punitive Damage at Punitive underscore Damage. Go watch some of her video parts, particularly the latest one called Overbooked for Crux Trucks, which came out in January. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boys.